after I left my last job, I was a shell of myself. I spent a lot of time healing from various workplace wounds. I was unemployed for a year and a half, just trying to recover. And I didn't really have a lot of support around it. What has brought me to today is building a career around helping women who were in my same place, who were going through the same things that I have been through. Hey everyone and welcome back to another episode of Her Defined. I hope you are all doing well. So yesterday in Canada was Thanksgiving and I want to share a little anecdote that I, you know, had some time to reflect on yesterday. So a few years ago, all I really wanted was to have my own place and to host and cook a really nice holiday meal for my mom. And last night, I finally had the opportunity to do that. It's taken some time for me to, to, you know, secure my own place. And I think that was delayed from the pandemic, as well as making sure I was financially independent and secure enough to be able to have my own place. But last night, you know, my mom came over. I cooked a roast chicken, mashed potatoes, Brussels sprouts. I made an apple galette with fresh apples that I picked, apple picking. The the dinner was top notch, if I do say so myself. But when my mom left, I reflected, I was like, two years ago, all I wanted was to be on my own, but to have the space to invite my family over and and for me to provide for them like they've provided for me. And it was just really amazing that I, I had reached that point, not to get all emotional, but it really, like I sat with it for a second. I was like, holy crap, I, I finally got there. I finally achieved that goal of mine. And of course, now I have new desires, new goals. It might take me just as long or even longer to achieve some of those, but I hope that when I do, I am more mindful and I don't dismiss them as quickly. And I really recognize, you know, I wanted this so badly in the beginning and I finally got here and I hope that I can just be proud of myself and really bask in that accomplishment. So I want to put it back onto you guys and ask you, have there been accomplishments, goals that you've achieved where you've dismissed them or entirely forgotten about them because maybe it's taken a while to achieve them? Think back to two years ago, five years ago, when you had set these goals or just said to yourself, you know, I really have a desire to, to do this. And maybe now you have. Take a second and just appreciate that you've done it and be proud of yourself because you have earned it. And today's guest is all about positive self-talk and channeling rest and self-care into our day-to-day lives so that we can be far more productive in our careers. Dr. Sonia Ashok is a career and leadership coach and the founder of Connective Coalition, a community to empower women in the workplace. She is a physician who pivoted into health policy and then tech startups. Her experiences navigating career advancement in toxic environments as a minority woman inspired her to support others in climbing the ladder. She is a certified yoga teacher and a diversity, equity, and inclusion specialist. 
She lives in San Jose, California with her husband and lots of plants. In this episode, Sonia and I are talking about, you know, channeling rest and self-care daily to be more productive, forging your own career paths, while also being mindful of all of these societal and familial expectations that are put upon us, as well as collaborating with other women to foster a community. Let's start off with what has been your defining moment this past week. So this can be something good, it can be something bad, but it's something that has shaped your week. Yeah, so I love this question because when you think about defining moments, I think about something that happens maybe once a year or even just a few times over a lifetime. So when you think about a defining moment for a week, that's almost just like inviting inspiration. And I would say that the defining moment of my week kind of ties into my values. I think about my values, including things like connection, community, and collaboration. And one of the things that I did on Monday afternoon was meet with a fellow female entrepreneur. We had a one-on-one meeting and it was all just about helping each other come up with ways to help other people. So it was, it was just so inspiring. It was really uplifting for me to see someone who was a little bit farther along in her career as well, giving me advice and feedback, and then also finding ways that we could work together. So you followed your family's expectations of graduating from a top university, going to medical school, and even getting accepted to an Ivy League to pursue an additional graduate degree. But you knew that medicine was not the right career path for you, which led you to quit altogether. So talk about this whole experience. What did your family say and how did you deal with their disappointment? Yeah, so first of all, I do want to push back a little bit on the idea of quitting and not just for myself because I did complete medical school, I got my MD. Um, But for anybody who is leaving one career path to go to another, um, you are accumulating experience in anything that you're doing. Everything that you have in your past is a building block in your career. You're taking something from it and moving forward. So I don't categorize it as quitting, I categorize it as pivoting. And I think too that, you know, my, my family didn't understand it. My family also saw it as quitting. I don't blame them for their opinions. They thought that they were giving me the advice that was best for me, which is what they want is the best for me. But what their idea was, was their own idea of success. And it was what was safe. It was what was known to them. And so for me, I had to deal with that disappointment by surrounding myself with other people who had gone through similar things, who were thinking outside of the box when it came to their careers, and to create my own definition of success, which didn't necessarily involve the things that they thought of as being traditionally successful. I assume that was probably really scary. You say it so well right now, but I feel like if you were in the moment, so much doubt or second guessing yourself. So how did you push through that? When I tell my story, people always say that I'm brave and I love that they think that about me, but in the moment it didn't feel brave. It felt very scary, but it also felt like I really did not have any other choice 
I knew inside of me that I was really misaligned with the career of medicine. I knew from the bottom of my heart that I didn't want to continue that path. It, it didn't feel like a viable option for me at all. And a big part of that too was my own health, my own chronic illness, right? Like I, I was diagnosed with a chronic illness when I was 18 years old and I went through undergrad, I went through med school and I got to the point where I was just like, if I can't take care of myself, there's no way that I can't take care of anyone else. My pursuit was, yes, I want to have a career that's aligned, but I also need to nourish my own self because if I don't, if I'm not taking care of my needs, I'm certainly not going to be able to help anybody else. Oh my gosh. That's so amazing. I got like a little, little chill when you said that, cause it's so, I feel like difficult for women to put themselves first and we are so catered and like brainwashed to always put ourselves last. Right. And the fact that you did this so young, there are women in their sixties and seventies that realize that. And for you to, to realize that when you had just finished school is really amazing and like hats off to you. Yes. And it's so funny that you say that I had done it so young because there are so many people who reach out to me and they're like, you went all the way through medicine. You actually like spent all this time becoming a doctor and now you don't want to do it anymore. Now you want to give it up. And so for a lot of people, it does feel like I'd gotten so far and Then I look at other people who I talk to, um, my clients, people who just reach out to me and they are in the middle of their career or they've been practicing for a while or they've been doing whatever it is. It might not be a career in medicine, but something else. And I've been doing it for 10 years or 15 years and they don't know anything else. They don't, they know that they don't want to be in that career, but they don't know what else it is that they want to do. And I think that the biggest learning that I had from this experience was I didn't actually need to know what I needed to do next. I could figure it out as I was doing it. Building on that, what would be your key piece of advice to those that are in the same position and they, they're not happy with what they're currently doing, but they, they also don't know what's the next step? What, would, what would, advice would you give them? So for anybody who is in a career where they feel unhappy, I think that the best thing to do is think about what is it that you don't like about what you're doing? One thing is, are you unhappy with the entire industry that you're working in? Or is it your specific role or the specific tasks that you're doing that don't feel aligned? Or lastly, is it just a bad situation that you're in? A toxic work environment, bad culture, a mismanaging boss. And if you can pinpoint what exactly it is you don't like, you can start to think about what it is that you actually do want to do. I have a quiz that I I have on my website that actually asks you, do you want to quit your job? And what do you do next? And so it gives you sort of that next step. But, um, but ultimately, when you start to think about what it is that you do love, what it is that you do want to do, just start doing more of that and going in that direction. And that's going to lead you to the thing that will start feeling more fulfilling to you. Amazing. We love a good quiz. I want to go uh, take that quiz. (laughs) I'll make sure to send it to you. 
Yeah, I'll put it in today's show notes too. Great. So can you talk more about the societal and familial expectations placed on women and what we can do to block them out or ignore them as much as possible and really tune into what we want for ourselves? Continuing doing what we love, like you were just talking about. I think it's so hard to be a woman. I mean, it's always been hard to be a woman, but in 2021, it is the societal expectation of being a career woman, being a wife, being a mom, and doing all of these things really well. And the patriarchal ideas of what a woman should be are not just infiltrating men and the way that they interact with women, but it's infiltrating women and how we interact with one another. Um, I remember a situation where I was actually on my graduation day from medical school in my cap and gown. We had just gone through the ceremony. And of course, all of our parents were there. And my mom started talking to another mom whose daughter had just gotten married the month before. And my mom said to this other mom, you know, it's great that Sonia's graduating from med school, but I really wish that she had gotten married like Tina. And I just thought, what the hell? Like I have just spent four years doing something that I didn't feel great about, that I felt pretty disconnected with from the start, but continued because of these pressures to be successful. And all of a sudden the goalpost gets moved. And instead of, we want you to be a doctor, now is we want you to get married. And, you know, even now, now more than a decade later, I've gotten married. And yeah, you see these, these expectations that are arising from that marital relationship where I, when I first started working in my business, it's, it's not a nine to five. It's not something that, you know, you have an end time to, as you know. And so I'd be working and I'd be in the flow and my husband would knock on the door and say, Hey, what's for dinner? When, when are we eating? And I would be like, Oh, I, I was in the middle of something. I was doing something. I was in the flow. I was ready to, you know, get things done and now I have to take a break to cook dinner and sort of be that person, be that role, be, be the wife. And I very quickly had to set expectations and just say, you know, I'm not always going to be able to cook dinner every night at six o'clock. Like sometimes we're going to have to get takeout. Sometimes we're going to have to do other things. Like maybe you're going to have to make dinner every once in a while. You know, I, I pulled back a little bit from that after my husband did make dinner once, but, <laughs> uh, but honestly, you know, it, it is really heavy to balance all of these things, all of these roles that we're supposed to play and all of these roles that we're supposed to play at the top of the level. And so when I think about sort of like how to buck against these patriarchal norms, you don't have to be one or another thing. I think that if you can think about what your priorities are and what your strengths are, play to those and then think about how you can get help on the other things. So maybe that's, you know, we're gonna get takeout or we're gonna do a meal kit and someone else is gonna do the grocery shopping. Or maybe it is that 
we're going to get a nanny or somebody else is going to take care of the kids. I'm not a mom yet, but I know many of many of the working women are moms. Just getting that support where you can get it. Maybe it's even in your business that you hire a VA or you hire somebody to do the things that you're not as good at. So something that would take you 20 hours might take somebody else five hours to do. So don't be afraid to get support and get help when it's needed. Don't feel like you have to be everything all at once. So can you give us a rundown of your career today and how you feel with what you're currently doing? Yeah, so I am a career and leadership coach. I specifically work with women who are looking to pivot their careers from one industry to another or advancing from a mid-level role to more of a leadership role. I also work a lot with women who have dealt with toxic and abusive workplaces. And of course, that is based on some of the experiences that I've had as well. So, you know, my overarching driving motive is to create strong female leaders who will lift up the next generation. I know that you mentioned that you've had some strong female leaders and bosses and mentors in in your past. I have as well. And I've also had really disruptive female bosses. And a lot of that difficulty and that strain is coming from insecurity on their end. There's a lot of feeling of if I make it to the top as a woman, I've taken the one spot that a woman can have in this organization. I have to make sure that I protect that place with everything that I have. And so I'm gonna push down anyone else who tries to get in my way or who, who looks like they could be vying for my position in some way. That is so destructive to just like everything. It prevents organizations from looking and representing the people who they want to serve. So for me, it's this idea of really thinking about how to bring more women into leadership and then have a domino effect for them to also bring more women in rather than pushing other women down. So elaborate also now on what does a typical workday look like for you? Yeah, so as an entrepreneur, I do a lot of different things and I wouldn't say that my day-to-day looks the same on any given day. But of course, one of the touchstones of the work that I do is related to my clients. I do group and individual coaching. So I always have time in my schedule for those interactions. But I also do a lot with my program creation and I'm always refining the, the things that I have put out. Um, as an entrepreneur, a big part of my job is social media. So you mentioned you found me on Instagram. I spend a lot of time on social media like that. Um, and then, as I mentioned at the beginning, really thinking about collaborating and working with other women. Um, I'm part of a virtual co-working space with other women. I am often working with other women to promote their work, to bring to light other issues that women are facing in the workplace. So a lot of different things around collaboration and working together on shared goals. And then sort of on the personal side, and I think um, work and personal are separate. They're also very connected, especially when you're an entrepreneur. 
So one of the things that I really focus on is personal development, um, learning a lot more, getting different trainings, attending workshops, doing all sorts of things that just make me a better person and a better leader myself. And also the self-care piece, which again, many people think about it as separate from the work. I think about it very much as part of my work because of the fact that I have to hold space for people who are going through very difficult things in their career, in their personal lives. I need to make sure that I have my cup full so that I can give to others and be there for them. And so a big part of that is exercise, nutrition, and even rest. So making sure that I get enough sleep at night and even making sure that I get breaks away from the computer during the day. I love that. And I like how you incorporate that as part of your everyday and like your job, because people can think of self-care as it's personal, you know, you need to be doing that on your own personal time, but really it's going to make you do your job or whatever you're working on so much better. So like, why are we not including that into every single day? Absolutely. I think that we, we really put self-care on the back burner as something that we have to make time for. And really, if you don't have time for self-care, you're wasting time on other things. Yes, so true. So talk about some of the tech startups that you've worked for and what you've learned through this work. Yeah, so I have worked for two different tech startups. Both of them, of course, were related to healthcare because that's my background. That's still one of my big passions, of course. And um, and I think that the, the move to tech was after I had worked in policy and advocacy for about five years. And with that work, with the policy work, it is very slow going. It is... Often it takes a long time for any to see any results from the work that you're doing. It can involve a lot of red tape. And it's also really influenced heavily by the, the government, the political environment that you're in. So if you have a certain objective or agenda, it might not work if the, the administration isn't open to those kinds of rules. And so for me, pivoting into tech was really about building the things that make a difference and bringing things that people need directly to the people who need it. Um, so it was, it was a fascinating change. It was really interesting work that I was doing. And I think one of the biggest things about startups is that you learn to wear a lot of different hats. Um, one startup that I worked at was, um, I was employee number seven. So it was a very small organization and we built up to more than 60 people while I was there. But initially when you're seven people, I was doing sales, I was doing marketing, design, data, all sorts of things. And ultimately it was a huge opportunity for learning and growth. And I think one of the things that I took from it going into career coaching was understanding what leadership looks like. At a startup, you're really working a lot more directly with leadership, at a, especially a small organization, than you would at a larger company where it feels like the, the leadership or the C-suite is pretty faceless. 
And so I was really able to learn what good leadership looks like and what not so good leadership looks like. Elaborate on why women must work harder in the workplace to stand out and succeed. Yeah, I mean, we live in a very patriarchal society. If you Google leader or CEO, the images that you see are going to be a lot of white men and then a few women sprinkled in there. Um, You know, when you think about the Fortune 500, there are only 41 currently, um, as of this taping, 41 female CEOs. Only two of those are Black women. So less than 10% of all CEOs of Fortune 500 companies are women. It really should be more closer to 50% that, you know, the split in our population. As a woman, you're not even seen as a leader. You're not even seen as that person who has those skills, who has those abilities. Um, We are really a victim to bias, stereotyping, and discrimination in the workplace. Um, I'm sure that we've all seen those memes where, you know, women who are in leadership roles or who are vying for them are described as being bossy and aggressive and difficult, whereas men who are doing the exact same behavior are seen as confident leaders, as decisive, and as speaking their mind. And so it really is important to kind of fight to prove our worth and and our value. Uh, It feels like we're constantly having to do that. And I would say that, you know, keep keep on that fight, keep finding allies who will promote you and support you. And my biggest advice too, is just for companies um, to say that if your leadership isn't representative of the people it's serving, then you're doing it wrong. And I think about these two startup founders, you may have heard this story where these two white men created a company that made pink gloves for women to remove their tampons because they thought that it was messy and gross and who would ever want to touch something like that. Of course, they didn't consult any women. They didn't have any women on their team. And when it came out that they had actually even gotten a tremendous amount of funding for this project, it was laughable. It was ludicrous. How could you think that this is something that women want? Yeah, I was going to say, did this even sell? Because I feel like no woman in their right mind would buy this. Right. So they got funding for their for their idea. And of course, it didn't go to market because as soon as people started hearing about their goal and their product, they were really laughed out of the room. But the fact that they created a company logo, got funding, all of those things just shows that we are needed. Women are required in the decision-making of all companies. Can you elaborate on what burnout looks like and what are the three main factors attributed to it? Yeah, so I think we all can relate to burnout, feeling just really over it, done with it, right? But there is a medical definition for burnout. And it, like you said, it involves three specific things. Um, that really stem from chronic stress in the workplace. The first one is physical health impact. So you can see everything from headaches and acne to 
stomach issues, and even issues with fertility. The second thing is emotional exhaustion, where you just feel really tired and a lack of energy. And the last thing is alienation from and cynicism about your work. So where you feel really disconnected from the things that you do and even downplaying the accomplishments that you've made. What is the busyness epidemic? How can we reframe our mindset of thinking it's always a competition to be busy? Yeah, so as you mentioned, the busyness epidemic is a competition. It is that tendency to be competitive about how much we're working and to place value on being busy, to make it almost an emotion or a character trait. So I know that many of us are are interacting with people either in person or virtually now and the first thing you'll say to someone is, hey, how's it going? What are you up to? Tell me if you haven't heard this response. I'm busy, right? I think that it's almost like instead of saying I'm doing great or I'm happy or these are some things that happened during my day, people are responding to how are you with I'm busy. And it is this idea that we're really celebrating productivity. We're doing so many things and that is good. What I want to say about the busyness epidemic is that it is productive to rest. And, you know, we talked about this related to self-care, but it is productive to take time to wind down, to care for ourselves. And it actually helps us to show up better and get more done when we take the time to rest, when we take the time to get, you know, eight hours of sleep. When we take breaks every so often from staring at the computer screen, when you are filled up, when you do feel whole, you're going to show up to your workplace and to your role and to your task in a much better mindset and mental frame than if you're exhausted. And, you know, if you think about those nights where you may have pulled an all-nighter or maybe you were drinking a little too much the night before and you show up and you really don't get anything done, even though you're sitting in front of the computer all day, you know, compare that to when you show up to work and you've had a good night of rest, you've had a good breakfast, you're feeling at your best, maybe you had a win at home or at work the night before. And so when you're feeling good, you're doing better. So then I have a follow-up question. How can we as women change this, you know, hustling 24-7 paradigm and and make, you know, this patriarchal system and society that is always, you have to be productive to be successful. You know, how can we change that and make this system work for us? The key really is to, again, bring more women into leadership positions because women place more value naturally on that work-life balance. Currently, what would be your advice on advocating and, you know, really getting those needs across to, let's say, our boss, our higher-ups? How can we advocate for ourselves? I think this is the hardest thing that we have to do in the workplace. And a big part of this is setting boundaries. The important thing about setting boundaries is that we have to do it at the start of our job. We have to do it when we're first onboarding. We have to let our employer know about our limitations 
We have to let them know about our learning styles. We have to let them know about what makes us human. For example, that could include sharing that you have a chronic illness and letting them know that you do need to take some time off occasionally to go to the doctor or to get some medical treatments. And once you set those boundaries, and I like to say that you can set boundaries around your time, around your space, and around respect and how you personally want to feel respected. So once you set those boundaries and you let people know how they can treat you, you also need to do the next step, which is enforcing those boundaries. Because the human nature is to try to step on those boundaries and then over the line to, to test those boundaries to see if they're real and that they're true. And if you can gently but firmly reaffirm your values and reaffirm your boundaries when those, you know, when people in your workplace, whether they're a coworker or your boss, step beyond what they should, that's going to be where that respect comes in. And a lot of times I hear people say, but Sonia, like what happens if they don't react well? What happens if they still don't respect my boundaries? What happens if they just continue doing it? Despite, you know, you, you've enforced your boundaries, you've, you've given sort of like consequences around stepping over your boundaries. Like, you know, I'm going to walk out of the situation. I'm going to to leave the room and allow you to cool down if you start yelling at me, things like that. Well, the answer that I have to, to that is, is that the employer that you wanna be working for? And can you find an employer that is more human-centered, that does respect your humanity, that does respect your boundaries? Because that's where you are going to be your fullest self and that's where you're going to be able to blossom your career more so than anywhere else. What does your career mean to you? My career means everything to me. After I left my last job, I was a shell of myself. I spent a lot of time healing from various workplace wounds. I was unemployed for a year and a half, just trying to recover. And I didn't really have a lot of support around it. I had just moved to another state. And I didn't really have a support system or a network or mentors in my new city. What has brought me to today is building a career around helping women who were in my same place, who were going through the same things that I have been through. And to me, that has brought me the most happiness to see people coming back out of it and saying, thank you so much. You've changed my life. You have been there for me when I didn't know how I was going to get through this. My gosh, that's so incredible. I feel that's a, an amazing feeling and it re, re, um, invigorates you. Absolutely. Yeah, it is. It is the best feeling and it's so nice to do work that that is meaningful and that is fulfilling. And, you know, one of the things that you, we talked about before, right, is you quit medicine and you left medicine. But the career that I've built now uses what I learned in my career in medicine, in policy, in tech. I have been able to 
bring in those principles of neuroscience and psychology, that bedside manner of just being able to listen to people and understand what they're going through and empathize with them. All of those things have made me a better coach. They would have made me a great doctor, but I'm using them for a different purpose. And I'm so happy that I was able to make that pivot when I did so that I could be here now for the people who need me. What's currently making you excited and what are you looking forward to? I am really excited about some of the collaborations that I've been working on. I have an Instagram live series that I'm doing called The Dots, where similar to this, I'm talking to people who have pivoted their career, who have made it up the ranks, who are doing something different and outside of the box in their career. And it is really helping other people to understand that they can do so many different things outside of what they maybe initially set out to do in their career. I am working on a lot of different things, like I said, related to collaborations. I'm hoping to um, speak more at universities and help even younger students who are just embarking on their career to be able to find the career path that's really aligned with their current goals. One thing that I didn't mention is that I'm a trained yoga teacher. It's something that I went to after one of my jobs ended and I was looking for just an outlet. And so one of my longer term goals is to run an in-person yoga and leadership retreat. That'd be amazing. I want to sign up for that. <laughs> Please do. You're welcome to join. I think that it's just going to be, there's su- there's such unifying things because if you are, like I said, this, this whole talk, if we are more aligned with our own bodies and with our own selves, if we're working at the highest level of our selves, then we're going to be better leaders. And so they tie together so well. And it's going to be a really great way to connect to our inner selves. Oh, that is so great. Well, I want to say thank you so, so much because you are just literally a wealth of knowledge and the way that you break things down, even on your reels, I want everyone to go look at your Instagram because the reels that you post, they're so helpful and useful. Um, And even throughout this talk, you know, how you broke things down was really easy to digest and just it makes approaching navigating your career or whatever industry you're in so much less stressful. But I also want to ask or ask you to tell listeners where they can find you so that they can start following you and listening to everything that you have to say, because it is very valuable. Yeah, thank you so much. So I didn't mention this before, but the company that I founded is It's called the Connective Coalition. It's related to connective tissue and also connecting the dots. So it brings in my medical background as well. Um, So you can find me on Instagram at Connective Coalition. You can find me on the web at www.connectivecoalition.com. You can also find me on LinkedIn. My name is Sonia Nagda Ashok, and I'll spell that out for you in in the um, comments here. And, um, and finally, if you would like to send me an email, you can send me an email directly to sonya at connectivecoalition.com.
If you enjoyed today's episode, the best way to support is by liking, following, rating, and reviewing on Apple Music, Spotify, or wherever you get your podcasts. I am entirely grateful to those that have already left a review or have reached out to me. And if you're wanting more tips and content from each episode, be sure to follow on Instagram at Podcast. New episodes are released Tuesdays, so turn on your notifications for the platform that you listen to so you don't miss an episode. <laughs>